Would you go ahead and give the Campbells a warm welcome from Bethel downtown? Thank you. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Marjorie Campbell. This is Jeremiah, my husband. Um, we serve in Bolivia with our kids. We have a son that's 10 years old, Judah, and our daughter is five years old. And so hopefully they're doing well with kids' church over at the other church. <laughs> but um, we, we were called specifically to Bolivia. And um, it feels a little bit strange to be back home, which we call this home, but we also call Bolivia home. I actually grew up in Elma, so not too far from here. Um, graduated from Elma a long time ago. And we got to be with family, but it just feels so strange for our family to be home, but not really home. And so we're in between two places. Um, we had to leave Bolivia because the situation's getting really dangerous there. And um, we've been back for almost two weeks now, but our hearts are broken for Bolivia. Our hearts are grieving what's going on in Bolivia. And so I hope your hearts are open to receive from what God has for you this morning as Jeremiah shares the word, and he's going to share a bit more about Bolivia as well. Thank you. About three weeks ago, we were uh, we had told by our leadership for Assembly God Missions that we had to evacuate the country because of the civil unrest that's going on. And as soon as I sent out an email telling all of our churches, pray for us, this is what's going on, and then I had to delete it from social media because of the sensitivity of the nature. Um, uh, Pastor Scott from the other campus uh, emailed me right away. He's like, you guys got to come. You guys got to come share. And so we have been nomads for about the last three weeks and uh, trying to figure things out. But in um, a little over a year and a half ago, in 2018, the Bolivian president, and just so you know, because we get asked this all the time what it's like to live in Africa, Bolivia is in the middle of South America. <laughs> they speak French there, right? No, they speak Spanish. <laughs> um, just to give you a, a background, Bolivia is in the middle of South America. We live in a city called Cochabamba. Can you say Cochabamba. Yeah, it's a fun one to say. And it's in the middle of the country. So we literally live in the heart of the continent of South America in the Andes Mountains at about 8,500 feet in elevation. We love it. It's beautiful. It's like eastern Washington, but spring all year long and the Cascade Mountains around you. It's gorgeous. Um, we have some prayer cards too. We leave it. shows our mountain range. And there's a Jesus statue on there. That's not the Brazil statue. That's our statue. Ours is 10 feet taller than the Brazil statue. Just putting that out there. But uh, about a year and a half ago, the Bolivian president passed a law that uh, made it illegal to share your faith, any faith, actually, not just Christianity. Wonderful president, right? And Bolivia does have religious freedom laws, and what happened was you could not uh, share your faith, you couldn't take anyone to your church with you, and so we have a Speed the Light vehicle. Speed the Light's the, the ministry that the youth give when they give to missions. It purchases communication material and transportation vehicles for missionaries. So we have a, a 2008 Land Cruiser. It's an amazing vehicle. And, if I, and I, we do campus ministry. We work with college students across the nation. We train pastors with Global University across the nation. We have internship programs where college students from the U.S. come down. They study abroad with a purpose and they can do an internship with us for up from three months to a year. And we have these different ministries going on. So we are always having people in our car. It seats nine, our record 17. And um, um, so let's say I'm taking a Bolivian college student. I invite him to church to go with me. If I go to church and let's say there's a, a road check along the way and the police officer stops me and asks, uh, well, what are you guys doing? Well, he's taking me to church. I will be thrown in jail for seven to 12 years. 
I will have the vehicle confiscated. The Assembly of God missionaries of Bolivia will be kicked out of the country. The denomination of the Assemblies of God of Bolivia, which is the largest denomination in the country, will be disbanded and the uh, senior pastors will be sued because I took somebody to church. That sounds like a hostile culture, right? Isn't that what you've been talking about in Daniel? Unshakable faith, hope in a hostile culture. And so that's what we've been living. The cool thing was is this. When the church is persecuted, it's like fertilizer. It just stinks, but it does make it grow. <laughs> and that's the amazing thing, because what happened was when that law was passed, all of the churches in Bolivia just banded together. I loved it. All of their petty differences, their denominational differences, their doctrinal differences, they all went away, and they said, look, we have freedom to worship God. They gathered together in the city squares. They had worship services, 10,000 people. There. You can't, can't arrest all of us. And they were fighting for it, and a few weeks later, that law was repealed. Fast forward to this year. So we, uh, we were back in Bolivia, and the, on October 20th, we had our presidential elections, which we have coming up here next year, this month, this in less than a year now for the United States. And in the process, our president, who is allowed two terms, just like in the United States, was running for his fourth. Yes, we have corruption in our country. And uh, he created a loophole to even get a third. And then during the election, it was being televised. It had uh, an internet system backing it up and everything. And they were looking at the count live in, in um, everything live that was happening. And the guy running against him, because Bolivia had been so fed up with the, basically what was turning into a dictatorship, uh, the guy that was the main running mate against him was, it was projected to pass him. And so about six o'clock at night, on Sunday night, on October 20th, the whole system went down for four days. People started freaking out, what's going on? And then when the system came back live, oh, look, it was a landslide victory for the president. And we had to bring in the Organization of American States, they did an audit, oh, it's fraud, all this other stuff. And the country freaked out. Literally blockades in every street corner of every major city in the country. Peaceful, though. And people yelling out for their rights, for freedom, for um, justice, and all of that. And I actually have a video I'm going to share with you at the end of some of what was going on. We're talking about gatherings, not with like hundreds or thousands of people. Literally a city of a million and a half people with a million people in the gathering. Like everybody's there. City of two and a half million people with two million people in the gathering. And it's just these huge gatherings of people crying out saying, we want our freedoms. We want our voice to be heard. We want democracy. And in this hostile culture, and then what happens is the people who are loyal with the president's party start coming into those peaceful demonstrations and attacking them physically. And so Bolivia for the last three weeks has been literally utter chaos. The day they put our entire city's hillside on fire was the day we left. We also had uh, seven pastors from the Northwest with us on what we call a paradigm trip. It helps change your paradigm of the missions field. Oh yeah, very changed. Our assistant superintendent, Don, our Dave Cole, was with us. He slept in my daughter's bed last night because we couldn't even get him back to the hotel. It was so dangerous. We got caught in a blockade. And um, I almost lost my ministry credentials when I, I was thought I was going to have to punch somebody out so I could get my wife through the blockade and get home. And, but fortunately, that didn't happen. And people, when they live through these types of situations, they look for hope in a hostile culture. They look for hope to see, God, what are you going to do? And that was a very hostile environment. It still is. People have died. Hundreds of people have been injured. 
And it's a roller coaster when we, things start looking good and then all of a sudden things start to spiral out of control. And even yesterday I was reading a news article and they started throwing the word civil war around. And we're going, what, God, what are you doing? And we're praying for our friends, our neighbors, our churches in Bolivia. And when even when we ask here, when you have a trial you're going through in your family, in your community, or things seem like they're spinning out of control in the culture here in the United States. We ask ourselves, God, what are you doing? What happens when Satan attacks God's people? Well, let me tell you, Daniel, and you guys have been walking through the book of Daniel. I think you, last week you finished on chapter six, right? Yep. Guess what? Chapter seven talks right about that. So we're gonna jump back into that series. You got your Bibles this morning? Raise it up if you got it, or turn it on if you need to turn it on. I know we have digital Bibles here in the U.S. If you don't have one, you can steal your neighbor's. It's the most stolen book in the history of the world. And say this with me. Say, I love. No, you got to raise it up. Come on, I'm used to interactive church culture in Latin America. We're very passionate in church. We're very loud. Raise up your Bible and say, I love. There we go. God's word. It feeds me. It guides me. It directs me. Hey, take that Bible and open it up to chapter, or turn it on to chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to get so excited, I'm going to start preaching in Spanish, and you're going to have to pray for an interpretation of tongues. <laughs> Man, hallelujah, amen, Señor. Okay. Daniel chapter 7, it's a super complicated chapter. I really wish that I got to be here for Daniel chapter 6, because it was Daniel and the Lions then. It's Sunday school. But we get visions of end times events. And here's the cool thing. It's like um, Shrek puts it this way. You guys have seen Shrek, right? Shrek says the ogres are like... Onions, because the onions have layers. And then Donkey says, why can't it be like cakes or parfaits? <laughs> Daniel chapter 7 has layers to it. So we're going to go through it in some layers. It's deep, and we're going to explain it, because Daniel really does talk about this hostile culture that we're talking about. And so this is what it says. We're going to read through the first half of Daniel chapter 7. It's a vision, and then the second half is God's interpretation of the vision. I'm so glad that God gives us the interpretation because it is weird. And Daniel even says as much. So this is what it says. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. You guys talked about Belshazzar already. Daniel chapter 5, you got the writing on the wall. Okay. This is the first year of Belshazzar, king of Dan Babylon. Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind. As he was lying in bed, he wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, here we go. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first, and I have some artist renditions of what they kind of look like, maybe. The first was like a lion. And my sermon this morning is lions and leopards and bears. Oh, my. If you'd like to take notes. The first is like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast and one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and was given authority to rule. After that, my vision at night, after, the, after that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. 
It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up from among them. And three of the first horns, remember there was three other animals too. It all connects. Were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. This is a pretty crazy dream. I wonder if he had pizza the night before. (laughs) As I looked, thrones were set in place. So the scene changes. Thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, that's God, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. His hair of his head was was white like wool. His throne was blazing with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. God is taking his judgment seat. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, his body was destroyed, and then thrown into a blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow. That's layer one. (laughs) There's some deep stuff happening here. Some really weird stuff. And Daniel says as much. He kind of freaks out. And he's like, God, I have no clue what this is. And so God actually gives him an interpretation of that dream. So Daniel, the second half of this chapter now, goes back through that vision. But now it's with an interpretation from God to help us understand that. So our second layer of this is is God's interpretation of the dream. So let's continue through. And he says this, verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions passed through my mind, disturbed me. That's a very nice biblical way to say I was probably peeing his pants. I mean, he was just really freaking out. He was scared. He could not. He's going, what is going on? I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all of this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms. Okay, so now we know there are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Verse 19. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head, and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others, that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. 
the ten horns or ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king, the little horn, will arise different from the earlier ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and a half a time. That's a three and a biblical way, Hebrew way of explaining it. it's a three and a half year period. Verse 26, but the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. Wow. And so Daniel ends with this, verse 28. This is the end of the matter. That's it. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. I would be deeply troubled too, having this kind of a dream. Daniel is having a crisis. He sees this hostile culture. He sees the earth literally being conquered and taken over by terrible kingdoms represented in the, in the symbolism of these beasts. But what's interesting is as you go back through this, the connection to what this has is Daniel is, is seeing a foreshadow of kingdoms that are to come. And he sees a foreshadowing also of what God is going to do. And there's an interesting passage also in the book of Revelation that literally talks about all this same kind of stuff. Now, in the New Testament, uh, there's a lot of citation of the Old Testament. They talk about prophecies being fulfilled and things like that, and they quote those sections of Scripture. If you have a study Bible, it says, yeah, you can find this in Deuteronomy. You can find this in Isaiah. Well, when John talks about Revelation, he's not doing a, a, a connection literally to Daniel. He's literally having the same visions and dreams. It's not saying, hey, Daniel said this. John's going, I saw this and this and this. And so I want to share because John gives us a really interesting lens to help us understand with a little more clarity what was going on with Daniel's image. So this is a connection we have, a lens that we can see through Revelation. It's a mere image of Daniel. And I've got the scripture verses up here. But in the beginning, to give you an understanding, first of all, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, John reveals that Jesus is this son of man that we read about. And he's in the same vision as Daniel because John himself even says as much right as Jesus starts talking to the churches. And he says, someone like a son of man in, in, in Revelation 1, 13 through 14, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash against his chest. The hair of his head was white like snow or white like wool, excuse me, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a blazing fire, just like the throne. There's imagery that's connecting to this on purpose. A little bit further when you read through Revelation chapter 13 verses 1 through 2 and a little bit of verse 5 as well, we see a connection. The beast will be the Antichrist, taking authority and power of the other kingdoms, and he will proudly blaspheme with his authority and persecute the followers of Jesus for three and a half years. Wow, it seems like there's a coincidence. There are no coincidences with God. And this is what John says. He says, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Where did the four beasts come out of? The sea. He had 10 horns. Does it sound familiar? And seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns, and each head had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard. Oh, wow. But had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. Lions and leopards and bears, oh my. The dragon gave the beast its power 
or his power and his throne and great authority. If you jump down a little bit more to verse five and just for time constraint, I would love to preach all the way through Revelation, but we do not have time for that this morning. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise authority for 42 months, which on the Jewish calendar, which is a 360-day calendar, that's three and a half years. Isn't that interesting? Uh, A lot of theologians, and a couple of weeks ago, you guys talked about the vision of the statue in Daniel chapter 5, and the different metals and and parts of the statue represented different uh, kingdoms historically. And a lot of theologians believe that this is a direct connection, even because talking about that the teeth were made out of iron and the fourth beast, the claws were made out of bronze, connecting directly to those things. Those are direct connections by the same author in the Bible. And uh, the lion, a lot of theologians believe, uh, represents this first kingdom uh, chronologically, probably the empire of Babylon which was uh, really where he was in transition of living. And then Daniel, if you remember, they have a transition to King Darius uh, later on, which I think we talked about in uh, ch- last chapter, chapter 6, where the, the, he was a Mede, and the, the Medes and the Persians started to take over, and that was supposed to represent the bear. And then if you study your history, you know that the, the Greeks were the ones who conquered the Persians. Alexander the Great was the one who did that. And they believe that the, that the um, I lost my, the leopard, there we go, was a, the representation of Alexander the Great's empire. And then the verdict is really still out. There's kind of two camps. Some people believe that the, the great and terrible beast with the iron teeth that trampled his victims represented Rome. Other people believe it's another kingdom that hasn't come yet. Some people say it's the United States. I really don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it is a great and terrible beast that does conquer the whole world. The point is, is that the Bible does tell us that there are four kingdoms and that this last one is going to be pretty scary. When John looks at it, it looks like the main king of that last kingdom is going to be the Antichrist, a world leader who's going to blaspheme against God, unify the world, and persecute God's people. A little bit later in Revelation chapter 19, I love how the story begins to twist here. In verse 20, the Antichrist receives his final and eternal judgment. Daniel says he's thrown into a blazing fire. Well, John says it. He says the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Or as we like to say, the lake of fire. There you go, you had your fire and brimstone preacher for the morning. (laughs) And there's a connection of we see the story begin to change. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, a couple chapters later, Jesus reestablishes his kingdom and wipes away the source of the beast, the sea where they came out of. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He's not only wiping away the beasts, he's wiping away their source where they came out of. In the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse one, God's throne or his authority is reestablished. The river of life that we see that was in the beginning of the Garden of Eden uh, is reestablished. It comes out of his throne, just like the river coming out of the throne in Daniel. And his purpose was to restore the relationship he originally had with creation. God had an intimate relationship with man in the beginning, with Adam and Eve, and sin has caused separation between us and God ever since. Pesky sin. Thanks a lot, great-grandpa and great-grandma. And, but the purpose and the narrative of the arch of the Bible is God's story working that out to reestablish his relationship with you and me. And Daniel, we see that begin to happen. And John gives us a clear image of that as well. 
And it says in Revelation 22, 20, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So there's a lot there, and I want to go back through this one other time, and I have a graphic up here to kind of help us understand this. There's a lot of um, theories and different opinions about how things will play out in the end times. Daniel's visions with some of the clarification of, of John in Revelation appear that the following series of events are probably what's going to happen. So what we have here is if you move from left to right like a timeline, you have the crucifixion, and then Jesus dies on the cross, and he raises again, and then he goes and he ascends back to heaven. And then we have the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's poured out. People are empowered to fulfill God's great commission. And then we're here in the middle about 2,000 years later. And at some point, it could be now, it could be tomorrow, it could be thousands of years from now. No one knows but this harpazo is what they call it, or the rapture, if you take it from Latin, Jesus is going to come and carry away the saints. And as we see kind of moving through Revelation, there's this time where that's where the Antichrist can rise to power. And for about a seven-year period, he rules this world. The first half of that, which is three and a half years, is the establishment of his authority, and the second half of that is basically God judging him and him persecuting whoever's left of God's people. And there's a series, and those little images are a trumpet and bowl, and they talk about trumpet judgments and bowl judgments. There are a series of judgments that God begins to pour out on all of the earth. And he can do that because God's people, those who are justified with God, are no longer there. He's not, uh, he's not punishing justified people. And it ends with Christ's second coming. Jesus comes back, the Battle of Armageddon, not Armageddon in the movie, but the actual Armageddon in the Bible. Um, and that's the last battle. And the dragon, which is the representation of Satan, is thrown into um, uh, the abyss or, or Hades. And it's a kind of this holding place. For, and then the, uh, the beast that we're talking about, this terrible beast, is thrown into the lake of fire and burning sulfur. The lake of fire! And it's utter destruction. God calls it the second death. He's completely destroyed. And then for a thousand years, and as Daniel even says it, he says that the saints are rule for a time. And in John, or in John in Revelation says that it's going to be a thousand-year period. People call that the millennial reign of Christ. And at that time, at the end of it, he establishes Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, and a new earth where not we go up into heaven, but heaven and earth are recreated and come back together. And that's what chapter 21 and chapter 22 of Revelation actually talk about. Now, there's a lot of theologians that say, well, I don't know if it's this order or that order or if there is an order or what it actually looks like. And there's so much imagery, we don't know. And you know what? They're right. There's a lot of images and there's a lot of opinions. But I will tell you this, what we can be a, in, in agreement with. When Satan attacks God's people, Jesus wins in the end. Christ wins in the end. Say that with me. Christ wins in the end. What happens when Satan attacks God's people? What happens when you live in a hostile culture? There is hope because Christ wins in the end. We know how the story ends and that's what's so exciting. We can have hope that Christ wins in the end. And maybe for us today, we feel like we're in persecution and there are times that Satan attacks our families, our community, and our natural response is fear. But Daniel shows us that Christ moves us to victory. And the beauty of the story is that we win in the end. Throughout history, when Satan attacks God's church, it's like fertilizer, like I said. It just makes the church grow. I was reading an article yesterday. China is on course to be the largest Christian nation in the world within the next 15 years. God's church is growing like crazy in a place where the Christians are pure persecuted like crazy. It just makes the church grow. 
And that's where we can move from fear to victory. You can sit there and say, come what may, I know that Christ wins in the end. Come what may, I know that Jesus wins in the end. And if you're on the side with Jesus, <laughs> then you're on the winning team. It's kind of like rooting for the Seahawks in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I may be in Bolivia, but I have NFL Game Pass. I just had to slip that one in there. Man, Friday's game, or last Sunday's game. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. So I want to share with you what's happening in Bolivia right now. We have these things called cabildos. Can you say cabildo? It's a civic gathering, and it's a legal gathering. And when the president declared his landslide victory and all that, um, People, people started gathering together in these legal civic gatherings. In this, in this one of these gatherings, it's in the city of Santa Cruz. It's not the city I live in, but it is the biggest city. They got together and they were happening almost every day or every week. Millions of people were coming together and they're crying out for their freedoms, for, for their rights, for democracy, for justice in the process. And they're crying out for that. They're televised. I mean, they're huge, huge. And in, the, in Santa Cruz, it's a seri- the, the city's like a series of rings or circles and there's a spot in there where there's a giant Jesus statue. And so they, they put a stage around that statue and this gal starts uh, sharing and, and, and getting people excited about that and crying out for freedom. She's a Christian. She's not a pastor. This is not a church gathering. This is a civic gathering. And in the midst of it, I want you to see what happens, what God does when people cry out to him. Go ahead and play that video.
to see a million people begin to ask for forgiveness for their nation in a country of only 10 million? Victory begins on our knees. Come what may, Christ wins in the end. This is my home. I know I'm an American, I'm from here, but this is where my kids have grown up. This is our home. I've lived in this city longer than any other city in my life. And to see people crying out and on their knees. I have, our phones are getting blown up every day. 500,000 text messages a day of what's going on. Videos and pictures. The police commanders leading prayer services where the whole national police force are on their knees asking God for guidance and helping them in the process. You want to see the United States, you want to see Centralia change for God? It begins with us praying. It begins with us asking for forgiveness. You want to see God move in your family and in your circumstances. It begins with us praying. So I want to ask us to stand this morning. Because I want to pray for the trials, for the fears, and for the victory that we're going through. Not just in Bolivia, not just in the United States, but this is happening around the world because when Satan attacks God's people, when there is hostile cultures, there is hope because Christ wins in the end. And that's exactly what Daniel shows us. I want to pray for revival, that God will begin to move and change hearts and minds in this community, in Centralia, in Chehalis, in Lewis County, in the I-5 corridor, and maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I realize I'm not right with God. Well, then you're not on the winning side. It's like playing for the 49ers, man. <laughs> Don't do it. I want to pray for, maybe you need to get right with God. Well, let's pray this morning. So let's do, I love that statue in that city. It's a beautiful statue. I want to raise our hands. It's an international symbol that just means I surrender. That's all it means. Would you raise your hands with me this morning? Let's pray. God, I just pray this morning that you would move in the hearts and lives. God, we come before you and we too, just like this, this revival of the civic gathering where people cried out together, asked for forgiveness. God, would you forgive us of our sins? Would you forgive us of the sins of our government leaders? And God, would you begin to bring revival in our community, in Centralia, in our families, in the Washington and in the United States, God? Would you begin to bring revival, a nation that was founded on biblical principles and on you? God, would you come back to be part of America? Not that you would just bless America, but that America would bless you, God, because we need you and we recognize we are nothing without you. And God, I pray that you would begin to pour out revival. God, that you would begin to change people's hearts and their minds and they would recognize how much we need you and how much you love us. And God, for those who are here, for those who are praying for friends and family that don't know you, God, that they would recognize that they want to be on the winning side. Not just to be on the winning side, but they serve a God who loves them intimately, that wants to rescue us and save us from an eternity without you. So God, this morning, we just turn our hearts over to you. And if you're here this morning and you want your heart to be turned with God, would you just say, God, would you just come and renew my heart? Would you come and live in me and change me? That's all he asks for. And he'll do, begin to do that. Father, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters here because we know that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We thank you, God, for how awesome and, and beautiful you are. In your name, and everybody said, amen. amen. I just want to share one last thing um, before I, I, I go. i got to get back to the other church service. We're going to leave some prayer cards with you. Um, grab it. 
Uh, it's got a picture of our city in the back, our family. It's got our social media in the back, our email. And you can email us also, sign up for our newsletter. It has our website, it has a newsletter sign up as well. There's stuff that I don't post on social media and I can't post right now because this is a very sensitive informa- uh, situation going on. We've had two churches burned and we've had one pastor kidnapped. He's one of our district superintendents. And if you would pray for them, if you would continue to pray for God to bring peace in Bolivia, because we're kind of in this limbo state of not knowing what's gonna happen. Can we even go back? And so if you would just continue to pray for us as well, that's my shameless plug for Bolivia, um, because every time people have started to come out and pray, we've watched God move in a mighty and powerful way. God bless you guys. Thank you for this morning. Wow. Now we get to respond. (laughs) How do we respond to that? I don't know what you guys are feeling and what you're thinking as you hear from Jeremiah about what's happening in Bolivia and what we see in the book of Daniel. Uh, But man, we have to remember. We have to remember, no matter what's going on, Jesus wins in the end. We have to remember it. We're having conversations this week with some folks and things are happening in their lives that don't make sense. And it gets overwhelming. And we don't, ha- we don't experience what they're experiencing, but you're experiencing your own trials. And the, and the answer is to get on the other side and remember Jesus wins. Even if you don't feel the justice, Jesus wins. And in Bolivia, they're experiencing something that, does anybody pray for that in America? No, we don't, right? Because nobody wants hard times. Nobody asks for them. But God is able to work in those things when we declare in the midst of it that Jesus is won. He won the victory. It's over. It's done. I love when she said that. It's done. It's already done. When we live like it's already done, it says something. It says something about our faith and to the people around us. So this morning, we're going to worship and if you need to take a moment and repent, you just, we're going to take some time. We have, we have time now at the end of the gathering to, to sing, and, and normally we do it at the beginning of the gathering, but I think it's very fitting for us to worship. You know, what you see in the book of Daniel is you see as, as God's faithfulness is demonstrated, the mouths of the people who are persecuting God's people open in praise. We saw Darius do that last week through Daniel and the lion's den. He, he praises God that he's able to worship God and, and it's, it's a natural outflow of people who see the goodness and faithfulness of God. So this morning we're gonna worship. We're gonna worship and, and I encourage you no matter what is going on in your life, ask God to give you that perspective of the victory that he's already won. That's what Daniel is telling us through all of that revelation that Jesus has won the victory. And in a few, in a few moments, we're going to come forward and we're going to receive communion. And the, and the worship team will go ahead and, and, and give you the cue on that. But I want to just spend some time in worship, praising Jesus for what he's done, giving thanks and being humbled by the fact that we get to gather together without fear, but asking God that he would stir in us the kind of faith that's required in the midst of that kind of persecution. Because we don't pray for that, 
but we want that kind of faith, that we would live our lives with the intentionality that those Christians in Bolivia and other places in the world have to live. That we can be inspired by what Jeremiah has shared this morning. Would you do that? Would you worship this morning?